you know, this this big stock drawdown occurred where, you know, the Australian Stock Exchange was anywhere from 40 to 50% down on, on most stocks. And um, I did check my spreadsheets, which auto-feed in, and there was still nothing to buy. So I'm like, how can we... How can we have a 40% drawdown in the stock market? And there was only maybe two or three on my hit list that popped up out of a basket of, you know, 200 stocks. And I was just shaking my head going, this this is wrong. There's something, there's something really, really amiss going on here. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Plebes, alpha plebes, beta plebes, welcome back to the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. Today, we're talking to Daz. Daz is an electrician and electrical engineer from Australia. He likes to tickle the guitar and serenade crowds. He has written some of the most phenomenal, succinct, short articles on Bitcoin's technology and economic models that I think I've read on Medium, and we'll link those in the show notes. Please check those out. They're spectacular. With Daz, we talk about side hustles, college degrees, the increasing speed of the hamster wheel, trading, value investing, conspiracy theories, and macroecon. As always, you can follow us at blue underscore collar BTC on Twitter, and you can send us an email at blue collar Bitcoin podcast at Gmail. Enjoy the show. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Daz, mate. Welcome to the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. Boys, thanks for having me. Look forward to this chat. Yeah, we've been looking forward to this one for, for a couple of weeks now. Oh, yeah. Welcome yeah, to the yeah, show. We book We're on uh, opposite. Me. Oh, our pleasure. Opposite sides of the world here. It's uh, 7 a.m. our time. We're nursing a couple coffees, limping into this, and you're uh, on your way to bed. What is it, like 10 your time? 10 yeah, p.m.? 10 p.m. I, I just ran out of beer, so I'm, on, I'm back on the waters again. But, uh, yeah, 10 p.m., so nearly bedtime. Kids are in bed, so I'm sitting in my caravan. Rain's pelting down, but um, no, all nice and comfy and, uh, yeah, ready for bed. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's going to be a while, buddy. We got hours of Bitcoin ahead of us here. Giddy up. Let's looking forward to it. uh, Let's start broad. Tell us about yourself. Give us a little background on Daz. Sure. So the uh, too long didn't read version. Um, I'm an electrician. Uh, I come into that trade a bit later on in life. Um, so I did a, an apprenticeship at the age of thirty. I'm nearing forty now. So I've been in that in that industry for about ten years. And um, basically, I was in sales and marketing before that, uh, and then decided, you know, it's one of those things that I always wanted to do in my life. So, you know, I don't know if it was a little bit of a pre midlife crisis but um you know thought at the age of 30 I'll hook in and and uh and and do what I wanted to do and um become an electrician so we call ourselves sparkies here we we give ourselves nicknames for everything in Australia um and I also did a an um 
engineering degree alongside that. So one of the ways to get into the industry here was um, it helped me basically to just enroll in the university degree and start chipping away at an engineering degree. I'm not a full engineer, but um, I've done a Bachelor of Engineering Science. That was a seven and a half year part-time slog um, with my very patient wife because we started having kids. Um, so married, happily married, two, two young boys. Um, so she she pretty much raised them <laughs> from babies <laughs> while I was sort of studying away and and, and now um, that you're a bitcoiner she's a single mom again huh <laughs> pretty much she's <laughs> she's been able to relax a little bit <laughs> that's that's for sure are just reading yeah, well, and podcasting relaxing, and writing all the time honey trust yeah, me it'll pay off yeah don't exactly. worry ten years from now this is gonna be this is all gonna be better exactly right and I also yeah so she she does she's she's a single mom again because uh I do gigs on the weekends too so I play a bit of guitar and sing so that's my little side hustle that I started about um are you gonna serenade four us four years no. yeah do you have your guitar on you can you serenade us <laughs> no, no no it's inside conveniently <laughs> in a future if you, episode if you around, happening yeah, if you hunt around the Twitter feed you'll see uh I did post up a cover of Rocket Man at one stage a few weeks ago so if you hunt around there you'll be able to find it but i'll check I'm, it out uh, i'm not the best singer i'm not the best guitar player but i'll get away with it i just i think i'm just slightly less shit than other people around the local area so i get away with it yeah let you stack <laughs> some sats huh yeah well that's 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 the whole that's why i keep doing it man it's um it's basically free unencumbered income that i use to stack stats and pretty that all goes towards bitcoin so that is the the convenient little side hustle that I always, um, you know, try and encourage other people to try and find a little passion or a little side hustle or, or some skill or, um, you know, if it's tutoring math or, or anything that you can think of to try and, you know, give yourself another avenue of income um, that you can put towards Bitcoin, then yep. you should go and do that and do it quick. Yeah. Having a side <laughs> hustle, you talked about this on a podcast I was listening to. Um, I, I have another side business I do with another buddy of mine and I couldn't encourage people more to just even mostly, I think what's interesting, uh, in today's world is nobody wants to be a blue collar worker, uh, to, to do the dirty jobs. Everybody wants to, you know, <clears throat> be a computer scientist or, you know, run a podcast or something kind of clean. Those dirty jobs make some serious money because nobody wants to do them. That's exactly right. That's it's exactly the same in Australia too. So a lot of the better wage earners are tradespeople. Yeah. So um, you know our schooling system goes from primary school. So that's sort of um, they call it prep now, which is pre year one to year seven or year six, depending on the state. And then you go to year twelve. And it's not common in Australia for us to go to college um, past that year twelve stage. So most most um you know majority of of blokes will go out and get a trade and and women these days as well it's becoming more and more commonplace which is great to see um we'll go out and get a trade you won't go to university unless you specifically want to be the lawyer or you want to be the engineer or uh as i understand like the the u.s system's a little bit more it's sort of like an expectation to go and go to college yeah these days, everybody you know? goes sure. to school for a basket weaving degree here yeah uh, <laughs> at least 80 percent or so crazy yeah, in so, terms of side hustles too, I was going to say, I think they're going to become <clears throat> less optional and more mandatory as this hamster wheel speeds up. If you're an average, average man or woman working a blue collar job in either of the countries we live in, 
uh, earning a, a full blown living wage, especially if you're trying to be a sole supporter of a household, it is getting tougher. It's gotten tougher in my adult life, and I think it's it's only going to continue to get that way. I'm sure the three of us agree, which is uh, unfortunate it, in a lot of ways. It's impossible. Yep. It's it's next to impossible. I I I just don't understand. I don't you know. Hats off to any single parent out there who's having a battle in this relationship. And uh, sorry, not in this relationship in this world, um, because like even as two dual income like my wife we're lucky enough we're in a position i've got a good wage and i've got a side hustle um that she can work part-time but there are many families in australia who both parents full-time working you know and the the sacrifices that people have to make now just to survive in this high inflationary environment where your currency is getting debased and you know that's that's sort of what the driver was for the article is these guys are caught on this hamster wheel and they don't know they're on it, and they don't know it's getting deplorably worse every day that goes on um, by a system that sort of we're, we're stuck in a system where they're going to have to just keep doing what they're doing yeah. um, by printing more money, debasing the currency, and, and people are just going along with this hidden tax called inflation, just having no idea that it exists and no idea how bad it actually is versus what's reported on. You know, It's... It's crazy when you hear uh, academics, Steve Hankey maybe uh, comes to mind, <clears throat> talk about how inflation is a necessary thing, that if there's not an inflating currency, then an expanding economy can't cope with a, with a deflationary currency. Like this whole, um, I'd call it FUD, about the, a stable, solid, reasonable currency without massive inflation is bad for us. Like that is such a dishonest thing to present to the world, especially from the positions they're in when they do it. And most people just take it at face value because that guy is, you know, he's a professor at Columbia. He's an, you know, he's an economist. He's got to know better. Who am I to question that guy? But it's, it's just, it's detrimental to everybody. It keeps us all on the hamster wheel, like you mentioned, and trapped in, in a cage that it's almost impossible to escape from unless you hit, you know, you get lucky and you, you make it out, but so many people don't, you know, so many people are just, um, just depressed out there because they don't even understand what it is holding them back. That's exactly right. And there's just so much that the blinkers are on and they hide behind these CPI figures and so forth. Um, you know, the core, the core inflation figures for the U S for example, you know, don't have things like food and energy in it. And that's what everybody, they're the policy they're the metrics that the policies are getting, um, getting, getting created by, with the input from these, um, from the economists that are supposed to be the experts, and it's clear that you know when they commentate on Twitter and so forth about Bitcoin, they just don't get it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why, I don't know how, but it is so evident that these these people who are who are involved in this policy making and the and the advisors to the politicians and the and the and the um, board members of the of the um, of the central banks and so forth, and they just don't get what sound monetary policy is. And um, you know, it's when you've when people are presented with these inflation figures, and these are the only ones that get reported on um, and that get spoken about is these core CPI, but they don't realise that that has nothing to do with what affects my ability to feed my family day in day out. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, the basket yeah. that exists is not reflective of the the outflows of the average, at least American household. I don't know what it looks like in Australia. Hearing you okay. say they don't get it, the longer I'm in this space, the more it sinks in for me how much of an opportunity that presents at this day and time. I think that's where a lot of the passion comes from for us and I know for you to try to get this message out to the average wage earner because there, there's these two interesting things. So a lot of people in power don't get this yet, which presents an opportunity. And then on the other hand, nine out of 10 intelligent people that really dig into this end up becoming obsessed with it. So when you marry those two things together, you start to realize how early we are and how much potential there is, even if you start putting away a little bit of money into this. Um, and I just, I can't amplify that message enough. Uh, I know for the three of us, it's been this journey of first, you're trying to get on the lifeboat yourself, and then you're screaming back to the ship saying, get on here right now, because I mean, even thinking about the market we're in, I, Josh and I, we don't know if this is a dead cat bounce or whether we're in the middle of hyper-Bitcoinization. But if it's the latter, uh, this will, in a lot of ways, escape. This will reach escape velocity. And I don't think a lot of people will be able to get the bite at the apple that they wish they'd gotten. Absolutely. And I think, like, to, to your point, now's the time. You guys are doing such a good service to the community as far as getting this message out out here, because these are the conversations that need to be had all the time. And I think some of these uh, longstanding Bitcoin podcasts and educational platforms, they've had those conversations back in 2017 or 2016 or even earlier, and they don't want to go and cover, rehash the old ground, but they're the conversations that keep needing to be rehad because new people enter this space and they need to be hearing the conversations that those 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 big mainstream guys have already had and they're sick to death of obviously um, by some recent commentary by some of the some of the mainstream guys that um you know th these conversations need to be rehashed just about every year I th you know or every cycle at least uh, yeah. so that people can come on the journey alongside because there's so much content out there now and so many more um you know podcasts popping up like yourselves like i i mentioned it to you off the line i don't know how you know just looking at your twitter followers you should be tens of thousands by now with the quality of content you guys are putting out um so it's not going to take long before that escape that reaches escape velocity in itself because there are that many people now starting to wake up they know deep down just all your friends and family the more you're talking to them they haven't bitten haven't ha had the orange pill yet, but you can tell that they know something's wrong with the system. They just yeah. don't know what it is. What's interesting is I, I follow the mainstream media financial stuff quite a bit. And what I, what I like to do is read the comments under, uh, you know, whatever financial thing they're talking about. And I kind of, you can kind of get a pulse or feel for the pulse and like what average people think in the comments. And 10 years ago, and I've been down this, I mean, I used to be a gold bug and now flipped to Bitcoin in 2017 because it made more sense. I'm the ideology, the baseline ideology, same exact thing. Like the people in that world get it. The people in this world get it. We just have a different diverging idea on which is the asset, right? So I used to follow these things 10 years ago and the comments would be 99% people with that mainstream view of economics and how this all works. I'm looking at Forbes last night, reading comments 
it's like 50 50 at this point. There's people making great headway into like the true understanding of what's going on here about how we're destroying the currency. Like there's just comment after comment about like this will kill the U S dollar. And, and a lot of these people are not quite finding that answer yet, but you can see that the masses are starting to work their way into a sensical argument, which I think we both, we all know is going to lead them straight to Bitcoin sooner or later. Like the, the masses are rumbling about this. And I, I think we're on the cusp of it. Yeah. The one observation I've been making, particularly this cycle, is how much the tune is changing amongst people that work in finance. So I have a read on, we'll say, four or five buddies I went to college with. And I am kind of sending feelers out, we'll say every six months or something like any new thoughts on this or these conversations will arise. And, and I'm not, you know, these guys are doing a profession I don't do and I don't want to come across like I'm the resident expert here, which can be, be challenging. But um, they, I think they're just t- totally unaware of how their tune is evolving. So it, uh, even a few years ago, this was an idiotic idea. Now they're labeling it as interesting. And I would say that very soon it's going to be absolutely imperative. If you're a money manager, this is not going to be an option. People are going to insist on this being part of it. And it's just, but people aren't trending their, their disposition to this. And I think if they did that, they would inject in themselves a dose of humility that they need. Because when three years ago, you said this was the dumbest thing you've ever heard. And now you're labeling as, as interesting and, and, and a, a cool new store value idea. Well, you've moved just so far from that original position. And I think you then need to step back and, and recognize it's time to listen and maybe speak a little less. That's right. And, um, I mean, I mean Raoul Powell puts it on a puts it in good context where it's the exponential age, you know, so there's an exponential adoption about to occur. I think he's gone down the shitcoin rabbit hole. He'll come back to the fold, but at the end of the day, he's a trader, right? So I, I, yep. I like real vision. I, I, I subscribe to real vision. I absorb as much real vision content as I can. Yeah, I he's put good. the crypto stuff aside, but you know, at the end of the day, you've got to know he's just a trader. All he's yep. looking for is an ex perfect trade. So he's going down that Ethereum, mm-hmm metaverse nft and all that's got um all that's got a place i believe but they're not bitcoin right and what people need what i get scared about with that content is that the people who need this the most are the people who are working for wages and they need to a place to store their value that will grow over time in order for them to get ahead because when you go through and i come from this from the finance angle from um, I think I was listening to you guys yourselves. Very, very similar. Preston Pishmate. He was the, I don't know how many yeah. people he's responsible for orange pilling, but he was Great definitely mine. <laughs> That's right. The, the white <laughs> buffalo. He'll, he'll, he'll be a couple of, next, next couple of episodes, mate. You'll get him. You'll really <laughs> him in. Um, so, you know, I was going through, I was a bit late, mate. I've only been in Bitcoin myself. I just celebrated when uh, it was about March, my Bitcoin birthday. So I only, I only got this pill in 2019 and I come from this, from the value investing um, mindset. So I just consumed as much content as I could about investing because I thought that's what you do. You Once you start to earn 
more than what you spend in wage and you start to put it aside, you need to start looking at stocks and, and equities. And that's what you do. That's just, and so I just started absorbing all that content. And I come across the, the investors podcast series, but I was going right back through the back catalog. So I started back at the first episode and I was listening to them all trying to chew through two or three a day on 1.5 speed. Actually, if I listen to Preston now on slow speed, I think he sounds really droney because I'm just so used to listening yeah. to him like a rabbit on 1.5. Um, so you just got headphones in on electrical projects, just, you know. Full did, steam did ahead. Did you zap yep. yourself a couple of times, not paying attention to what you're doing? Oh, absolutely. I, every <laughs> time I mess with outlets, every single time I touch an outlet, I zap myself. Like, I just give <laughs> no, up on it. Yeah. Uh, Daz, there's there a couple house fires that are going to have your name on it after some miswiring because <laughs> you were listening to Stig and Preston. That's for it's sure. Even, it's even worse because I, I work at the local utility, so I'm responsible for all the power going out in the whole town. So yeah, when, I, when I mess up, it's not just... Yeah, that's right. Couple municipalities. Yeah, the great. Bitcoin's going to be blamed for some rolling blackouts. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I do. I just... The guys don't even talk to me at work because I've got my earphones in the whole time and I'm just churning <laughs> through podcasts the whole time. Dude, we're the, the same. At work, we are, both of us are labeled as total and complete fucking losers. Like I spend, <laughs> if obviously if we've got training or, or there's something to do, I'm fully engaged. But if it's free time, Dan is in the bunk room either reading or listening to podcasts. And if you're listening and you work at our agency, Everything I'm inhaling deals with Bitcoin. Okay. That's what I'm up to at work. All right. That's awesome. I'm pretty much the same. Everyone's just like, oh, shut the fuck up. And that's yeah. kind of why I started writing the, <laughs> the articles too, because I had the, having the same conversations over and over. And I, I was like, I was getting really good at the narrative, you know, like <laughs> piecing everything together. And I'd relay, oh, you want to listen to me for five minutes? Well, sit down because you, you're not getting your hour back, you know. And once I start, I don't stop. So it was kind of just a natural flow to go, I just got to start writing this down so I can just start flicking it to people, you know? So but, take um, us from you're, you, you're getting obsessed with value investing and you're, yeah. you're digging into finance, just I'm assuming for your personal portfolio. So then sure. where, does, yep. where does Bitcoin click for you? At so, what point? Um, yeah, well, I, I started. So what I decided I would do is I would dedicate a full year before I invested a single dollar, I was going to dedicate a full year to read as many books as I can and absorb as much content on investing as, as I could to make sure wow. I had a really good understanding of it. And I really bought into that Warren Buffett's rule number one, don't lose any money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. So yep. I was I was buying right into that. And the, the problem was once I got to that stage where, um, you know, I actually used uh, one of Preston's books. Um, I think, uh, I can't remember the name of the title, but it's um, it's got a good valuation stock valuation method in it where they use the book value and they uh, and they track the growth through the book value and you can start to um, deploy some sort of um, discount cash flow model in order to value stocks, right? So I just started locally on the ASX, so the, the Australian Stock Exchange started looking through the ASX 200 and started writing, um, just building some spreadsheets and just putting in stock prices and just started analyzing the stocks just for, based on price alone, let alone you know, doing any background yet. And what I soon found out was there was nothing to buy. <laughs> so using that discounted cash flow model, um, you know, with a expected return, I set myself an expected return expectation of 10%. So I'm like, well, if I'm going to what try and beat the market, I want to get at least a couple of percentage points higher than what the market would achieve, which is, you know, historically around 8%. 
And at, at 10% valuation, you, there was absolutely nothing to buy. I think there was one stock out of the ASX 200 that met some uh, met my my selection criteria as far as that was concerned. And when you looked at the balance sheet, it was like I wasn't touching that with a 10-foot pole. So I was sitting there going, well, where's these, where are these, where are these value stocks? And um, so I, anyway, I persisted probably for the next year. And over time, there were some stocks that I started to get comfortable with. And I'd, I'd traded a couple, well, not, not traded, but purchased and with the idea of holding for the long term. Um, and they were doing quite well, the ones I was able to find, but they were few and far between, which, which was the point. So, and then fast forward through to March of last year, and we had that massive downturn in the stock market. And I thought, oh, you beauty. And I was, I was all excited from my little hands together. I thought, this is my chance to go and swoop in. I was had all this cash sitting here. I like, was doing nothing. And I started to sort of piece together the, the whole inflation narrative and, and that already. I had a good understanding of that basically melting away in front of me. But, you know, this, this big stock drawdown occurred where, you know, the Australian Stock Exchange was anywhere from 40 to 50% down on, on most stocks. And um, I did check my spreadsheets which auto feed in and there was still nothing to buy so i'm like how can we how can we have a 40 percent drawdown in the stock market and there was only maybe two or three on my hit list that popped up out of a basket of you know 200 stocks and i'm just shaking my head going this this is wrong there's something there's something really really amiss going on here we are just at such a frothy frothy level and that's really where i had the impetus to to sit down and go, okay, there's something I'm not getting about how this whole monetary system works or the whole how the whole scheme is put together, and that's where I just turned all that attention um, that I that I'd focused just on the investing side of things to go right. I need to dig into macro. I need to find out what is going on, and that's where you know you start to find out about QE and how that gets injected and what that does to bond yields and how the bond yields are artificially suppressed through that quantitative right. easing process. And then how the bond yield is the risk-free rate of return and the risk-free rate of return is what gets input into the stock valuations. And then Which it starts to everything. make all sense. Yep. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. I was going to say the thing that's almost discouraging is it does take some macro to get this. Like, and I heard, I, I think it was on once bit and I heard you talking about Khan Academy. We have a buddy at work and I'm like, dude, I think the next place for you to go is a macro econ class on Khan Academy. Yeah, I know. I know there's some, there's some Keynesian stuff in there and whatever, but you learn about the just holistic inner workings of how the economy works. But that is almost discouraging, I'm finding, because you, that's almost the canvas that you can start painting the big orange bee on. And if mm -hmm. you don't have something to paint on, there's nowhere to go. And um, yeah, it's hard to tell people like, go learn about macro and then come back and find me. Like that's a hard sell. Yeah, it but is. I think that's an unfortunate truth in terms of delivering the orange pill. The thing that you discovered, Daz, um, I, don't, <clears throat> I don't think most people go through all the trouble that you went through to be a, an independent stock picker like that, because I think a lot of people just don't have the, uh, the, the, disposition for that you know it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of learning it takes a lot of a lot of effort but when you understand just that macro outlook on this thing like what happened in 2008 how that whole financial meltdown turned into the bailing out of all these companies turning them into zombie companies and then what what i believe and what i think a lot of people are coming to understand is that what that did is it moved the risk profile 
from the private world, the private companies, and it moved it right over to the sovereign level. And so now they're on the hook. They have to keep feeding this monster because if they don't feed this monster, the whole thing blows up. And, and at this point we're at now, like they've gone so far down that rabbit hole that all of the risk is now in the currencies and the bond market, in my opinion. Like a, a guy I work with on the ambulance the other day, we're talking on the way back and he's asking me about like, if you, I think buying real estate's a good idea right now. He just bought a house and he's worried about another housing bubble. And I was like, I, I honestly, I mean, you need a house number one. So it's never a bad idea to own a reasonable house. But I don't see a stock, I don't see a bubble in, in real estate because there's a bubble in the stock market. There's a bubble in real estate. There's a bubble in copper, commodities, gold. I mean, Bitcoin, crypto, everything is at nosebleed levels. And the only reasonable way to come away from that, having some kind of macro outlook is to say, if everything is at nosebleed levels, then there's what we're measuring with is very potentially the problem. and. Yeah. So if there is, if I was going to say, where's the bubble, I'm going to have to, I would go with like bonds. I, I wouldn't touch a bond with a 10 foot pole. I tell everybody that asks me about how to invest. The one thing I'll tell them, because I'm afraid to tell people things that are maybe too risky for them or they don't understand it because, because then you'll panic sell out of something when it goes down 50% like Bitcoin did. Right. But I tell them without any pause, just don't buy bonds, like average yeah. into equities, average into Bitcoin. You know, be careful, but don't buy bonds. Stay away from that shit. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, and and bonds are. I just don't understand how you you could basically hand over your money with a guarantee of getting paid back less in purchasing power over <laughs> it's time. total insanity. It is total insanity, and that's. To, to your point, what you said, they've since 2008, they've created this environment where they are hamstrung and they've put all this, um, all this credit, they've just blown this massive credit bubble up and the only way they're going to keep it afloat is to keep doing what they're doing. So it, it kind of leads me to uh, a scenario where, you know, you hear all these macro commentators, particularly on the, on the Real Vision circles, it's, that's a common theme to keep coming through is like, is they're going to keep printing. They're going to keep printing. They're going to keep printing. And I always just try and objectively look at things to go, okay, what does the scenario look like where they don't? So if, if they are, you know, we know that they're ruining the currency through debasement. We know that they've built this massive credit bubble that they have to keep printing in order to suppress the yields to an artificially low level because that's the peg by which everything else is measured. So at what scenario do they let it implode? And I don't think, you know, this is where we, 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 we'll sort of put our little tinfoil hats on for a sec and I'll just explore this, this pull on this thread for this yes. thought if, if I can. Go for so it. I don't believe, I don't believe there's any nefarious actors in the world that are, evilly trying to suppress the middle class, okay? But I think they are just that far removed about the impacts of what it's actually doing. Mm. That, And they're also, they benefit from the way that the system's engineered, that there's no incentive for them to change. That's what I firmly believe. However, yeah. what I keep coming back to is this World Economic Forum and the messages that come out of that. And I know that some of this, like you, you know, 
um, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. It, it gets amplified a little bit. It was a, it was an article title or an article subtitle that sort of gets conflated a little bit and people jump on that to say, what the fuck does that mean? You know, because it's, it's a scary concept. But I think it's, it's kind of important to pull on that thread a little bit and just say, okay, what does that look like? And how am I, if that were to occur, am I positioned in a way where I'll be protected? And that's where I think Bitcoin works in both scenarios. And if I can just explore that a little bit. So what yeah, I think, do. okay, oh, yeah. with this World Economic Forum is that there's a, there's a couple of things with the world in itself, which I think we can, most reasonable people can agree on. We're at 7.8 billion or wherever we're at. They know we're unsustainable at 7.8 billion. The statisticians think we'll actually top out at about 10 to 11 billion people. So what does that look like for the world? Now, communism is a thing that's been tried and failed many, many, many times. But mm -hmm. it's pretty clear that, the, that China and the CCP are married into that World Economic Forum level. Um, there's, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that, that they're part of the system now, and, they're, and, and, and that's possibly a good thing, right? But the, the, the commun what, I, what I fear is that the Chinese model is going to be adopted for the world through the global elites okay so these are the guys that they're what scares me is they most of them are non-elected officials officials there are politicians that go and they're mostly left-leaning that get involved with that okay so they've already got some ideals on the socialist communist regime so it's easy to sort of understand how they could possibly buy in to a system that they and i firmly think they believe that they will do it for the good of humanity i don't think as I said before, I don't think they're nefariously going to try and purposefully fuck over the world. But I think they're getting to a point where they realize overpopulation, climate change is a thing, okay? I, I, I buy into climate change. I think it's exacerbated. I don't think it's as bad as what they say it is. However, I, I also believe that you can't continually rape resources out of the planet and burn shit off and expect no outcome. Okay. Um, so I think, I think that that's a thing. Um, and I also, you know, and they also, they know population, they know climate change. And they also know the currencies are fucked. So what do they do? So I, I kind of get to this point where I think, what if they're looking at the Chinese model to say they were able to uplift a whole massive society, a massive population base out of poverty using this socialist system, even though it's not really okay. We know that there's still Chinese billionaires in the system. So there's a, there's a group of people that, that definitely benefit from the system. But I sit there and I think, are they using this model and is it a possibility that they're looking at the um, how, why, why communism failed the last few times is we lose that market dynamic between supply and demand and we right. lose the price, price discovery. Signal. Exactly. And we don't know how to manage resources, but they've got this new toy now called AI. And they're gathering all this data through their WeChat and their um and their the 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 first couple of iterations of the digital yuan which they're going to, and maybe they've got this data that looks pretty good to suggest that hmm maybe we could have a crack at a socialist system or a more communist based system where we can use AI to give us those market inputs now, and that's that's the scary thought, I think that perhaps they're buying into. And that's my sort of tinfoil hat angle yeah. of, of where it's coming from. And what I really, 
the next sort of layer to the tinfoil hat theory is the the vaccines. Okay, so we've got this pandemic. Um, Klaus Schwab, the you know the the uh, if he's the president of the WEF or the chairman, he has come out and said this is a the perfect opportunity. Okay, let's not let a good opportunity go to waste for the great reset. Classic what is that politician. great reset? Yeah, what does that great reset look like? Um, and I think okay, so we've got a, a global pandemic. Wherever you sit on that, re- re- regardless, um, they've got they're pushing these vaccines down everybody's throats. Like in Australia, it is getting yeah. so bad. Um, we are basically getting threatened with um, you can't go to pubs and clubs. There in in Sydney, there are local government areas now, you equivalent to your municipalities over there, basically saying no jab, no job. You can't go yeah. to work unless show you've us got your papers. At least one. Oh, what does that show us your papers? Exactly right. And when has that ever been a good outcome? And I think this is a convenient way in order for them to channel everybody into an acceptance of a central bank digital currency. So you start with the vaccine. We're sick of carrying around paper. So we'll make it an app and we'll make it a vaccine passport. Now you've got, and then that leads to a digital identity, which leads right. to biometric And the social identities. credit system like China and that, all of that. Yeah. I see where exactly. you're going so with it's that. A, it's a very convenient way of getting mass adoption for a new system, okay? And most people, um, if you if you float around on the on the social networks, they're they're eating this up. They're like, yeah, yeah, but vaccine passports. Like, I've had my jab. Like, let's do it. Let's do it. So we right. should be rewarded for our for our 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 participation for our in the program. Yeah, and like Christine Lagarde's been quoted on an IMF article a few years ago of of obviously the power of these central bank digital currencies will be we can start to reward social behavior through the monetary system. So, you know, the first thing might be, hey, congratulations, Josh, you've taken your vaccine. You're going to get a thousand bucks, mate. And then the people sitting on the fence might go, oh, I want a thousand bucks too. So maybe I'll go and get the jab for a thousand bucks. And what you can also then build into that central bank digital currency. So if you tie that digital ID to a central bank digital currency, they can bypass the banking system. They can print the money. The the big hams ham um the 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 big um the barrier to getting the economic drive that they have at the moment is the banking system. So when they print money, they inflate the reserves for the banks, and the banks are just supposed to go and lend that out to stimulate economic, um uh, stimulate the economy through lending and creating more credit. But the banks are realizing that hey, nobody's working as much as anymore, and there's a big default risk on mortgages so we're not going to lend that out as much so they're not really playing the game so one one aspect of or one way to get money into the hands of the people to spend it is through a central bank digital currency and this just might be a convenient way of getting that i mean i know i'm I'm drawing a lot of conclusions here so it's like oh geez the 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 holes in the cheese have got to line up but it's a real possibility it's an interesting yeah. concept and spitballing this kind of stuff is you know it's it's interesting to think about the implications and and where this is trying to lead, you know, it, it is. And at the end of the day, we're just, we're just pointing out stars and trying to see if there's a constellation. I've got sure. a couple comments. I like a lot of what you just said. The first comment is a COVID comment. We try not to go too far down this, this uh, hole because it's so controversial. But here is one comment that I think Josh and I wholeheartedly agree on, and I'm guessing you will too. We're healthcare professionals. I mean, we're firefighter paramedics. 80% of what we do is 
is paramedicine with a side of dress up fireman. By the way, that's how most firefighters are, at least in the suburbs of the United States. And I think we would say you can simultaneously be a believer in modern medicine. You can think that generally speaking, vaccines are a a great idea and an invention that's moved humanity forward while also being incredibly concerned about freedom infringement. And I think that's where COVID's gone for me. And I think for a lot of people where in the beginning, this thing was made out to be extremely substantial and you kind of bought the narrative in the beginning. And then as time goes on, you're like, yeah, this is, this is cool. They've made a vaccine. Like if you want it, take it. Um, it probably advisable for a lot of people. But then when it starts to cross the threshold of insisting that everybody take it. And honestly, even in, in this country, the government wielding a, some power in this arena that scares the living crap out of me. What's happening in your country is making me pucker more than anywhere else on planet earth, because we kind of, we relate significantly to your country and watching where this is going is super, super frightening. Josh and I were saying beyond the conspiracies, like maybe there's some reality, maybe this is a lab grown virus and this and that. But I think there's also the possibility that, we're just watching the pansification of humanity. <laughs> like people yeah. are in the 21st century. Information is everywhere. Our species is not used to seeing all of this information right at their fingertips. And I think a lot of folks are coming to grips with their mortality. And we're not completely discrediting COVID. We're not saying it's completely fake. But what we are saying is you run far greater risk this morning getting behind the vehicle, the, the wheel of your car than you probably do from the from COVID-19. And as yeah. first responders and people that see a lot of weird shit, it's just amazing how scared people are of this. And then you're like, you are a homo sapien. You're going to die. Right. Shit's going to happen to you. Like, welcome to yeah. being a human being. It's just a completely unreasonable fear for, you know, a, a sickness that's going to kill a 0.03% of the population. And those people that are dying are, you know, have massive comorbidities. They have multiple things yeah. going on. They're they're overweight, they're diabetic, they, you know, there's, there's lots of other contributing factors to the people that are dying from this. And sure, there's, there's a one-off 35-year-old or 25-year-old that just rolls luck, unlucky dice and dies from it. But I mean, car accidents, staircases, hornets, they are, they're claiming them too. It's just a shame, honestly, I think that's what comes to mind, that we can't do these two things together. We can't have vaccines in modern medicine, but also respect the boundaries of individual sovereignty and freedom. Um, yeah. I had a comment just real quick. I, I wanted to talk about the, uh, the idea of AI um, being kind of the administrator of, of markets if, if we went down. And I've had that thought before. We actually, I asked Jeff Booth about that and his reaction, uh, he had like a gut reaction to it. Like, no, nah, that's not going to happen. But I have thought about that. And one of the things that I kind of draw uh, a parallel to when I think about that is, is weather mapping, right? Or just weather prediction. Weather prediction models, they are obviously using AI. The, some of the most advanced computer systems are doing that. But when you think about the way weather works, it's extremely complex. Because in order to map the weather perfectly, you would have to have a computer model, <clears throat> excuse me, a computer model that, sub, that maps every single atom in the atmosphere and its reaction to the next atom and that cascading effect through those, you know, heat, uh, all of the different variables that you have to drive into that model. 
the way they actually do it is on a much more uh, a much less granular level because the amount of computer power would you would need in order to model every single atom is impossible we i mean we're nowhere near that i i see the economy in a similar way like there's such a fine grain detail mm. in order to map Absolutely. something like that it it be in my opinion to be very akin to trying to map weather accurately and i think we all know <laughs> weather is weather <clears throat> it's like 60% accurate like even like what the what is the weather going to be like in the next six hours around here? I can look it up and it'll tell me, but it, there's a good chance they're going to be wrong. So I yeah, I think I, that, I agree. I don't think AI would be at a stage even in the next close couple of years to be ready. But what I what I do think they need is that data input, and one yeah. way to achieve that data input is through a forced central bank digital currency because they yeah. need yeah. to start getting that data in order for them to be able to achieve it. So the more data you get, the more able you're able to no, process you're, it. And I, I agree. I think on that. Yeah. And I think that this is just a very, very, very convenient way of getting mass adoption of, of a system um, is, 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 is through the, is through what we're experiencing right now. And I, I totally agree with the, I, I totally empathize with the, with the stance on the, on the COVID as well. So like, just from the the Queensland Health, um, I forget the her exact role. The health, um, she's, she's the public doctor. Um, not once have they come out to say, "Go out and get some exercise." How about you think about changing your diet? Yeah, you know, if it was really, if it was really about the health, they've got fat Victoria's Secret models now, like fat yeah. women. Like I'm sorry, yeah. like this is ideal. Like this, I mean, I'm not saying what that does every the world woman, come to. Yeah. What I'm, what I'm getting at here is like the standards by which like people measure themselves, like, no, it's okay to be a fat slob. It's that's okay. Mm. Now, like you can be a fat yeah. slob. You can eat McDonald's every day. Don't take care of yourself. Don't go on a run, but come and get this yeah. vaccine. It's going to solve everything. Here's the one thing that's going to yeah. fix it all for you. It's hilarious. And that's, that's, and that's why I, I, I tend to go down that conspiracy theory pathway because you just, you look at the vaccines, you look at the the regime behind getting it forced in everybody's throat. You look at the data to say it's not as the efficacy is not 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 like they say it is. Right. Um, yes, it, it it you know it has a very good the data supports this very good chance of stopping you dying should you contract it. But what else can we be doing? And the other thing I I get I get really bogged down with is the censorship of the studies with alternatives because there is a large popular and it's growing by the day just even in my friend's circle about vaccine hesitancy. So it's like, why aren't we fucking doing everything we can to be studying those other, um, those other alternatives like the ivermectins and the hydroxychloroquine or some other Regeneron or something. I can't, I don't, I don't know yeah. if that was the right term um, that you hear about, but like the doctors who are supporting this, you know, there's over 48 studies done with this ivermectin to show that, Hey, it's got legs, but they're censoring it. They're not, they're not having the discussion. They're not having the study. They're not putting the counter argument out there. They're just removing it from everybody's purview. And it's actually like the hydroxychloroquine, the Queensland government made it illegal for doctors to prescribe it, even as an alternative. So I don't know the study. I don't know, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. But it just strikes me as really weird how they remove and they censor that data 
and then yet on the other hand, just shoving the vaccine down your throat. So it sort of makes me yeah. think, what's the agenda behind the vaccine? Is there an ulterior motive behind getting the vaccine into everybody's arms? And that's sort of where I come back to is that central bank digital currency. I'm like, huh, that's a map yeah. there. So the IMF it's... actually come out. I don't know if you saw it. There was a tweet out yesterday to say the IMF have basically come out and said, here's your digital passport. Here's your, yeah. your vaccine passport. So, I mean, you know that what? sort of thing's happening. What gives me what gives me some good hope and there's like a good glimmer of sunshine through the clouds here is when everything in the world, I mean, everything, I, I really believe everything's physics, right? Everything really has, you can kind of, the only real hard science in the world is physics and everything kind of extrapolates from that. And what really comes to mind when I think of like all this overreach, all this power grab, all that's going to do is cause an equal and opposite reaction to it, which is what I think you're seeing. Everyone is going, all right, well, I'm, they're, they're really trying to force this down my throat. I need to look for, I, I want to research this. And then they stumble into maybe freedom-minded ideas. Some people that are having the conversation we're having. And they think to themselves, I want to understand more about why things are, you know, totally effed. They start learning about, and I think Bitcoin is that equal opposite reaction in the world. It is mm. the polar opposite. Amen, brother. All of the things we're talking about here, all this kind of, you know, there's, I mean, we live in one of <clears throat> probably the best time to ever live in humanity's history. And we're all bogged down by the, the problems at hand. But I think we really, really are fortunate to be in the position we're in, where we recognize the bullshit. We are finding ways to protect ourselves. We're finding a community of people that are like-minded all around the world. And we have just getting into Bitcoin for an average person introduces you to an entire world of freedom-minded individuals who can then educate you on not only monetary sovereignty, but individual sovereignty in general. Like getting back to the roots of like, uh, the United States has been over the last century, maybe not the best. It's, it's kind of gone. I feel like a lot of people think it's gone downhill and it's maybe reached its apex somewhere in that hundred years. But I think it reached its apex 250 years ago when this thing was new. The ideals, the fundamentals, the ideas that were crafted there were pristine, you know? Yeah. The founding fathers would have been obsessed with Bitcoin. I think so. I, I think it's hard to deny. The, the other, the thing I was going to say too with this <clears throat> is just this concept that, so Daz, you're talking about kind of this, if I was to wrap up your thesis, it's this slippery move towards socialism is kind of what yep. you're saying. And yep. I like to to take a step back and say I don't I completely agree with you that I don't think the key players here on average are malevolent. I think they're mm -hmm. decent people like you and I who are just dealing with the deck of cards in front of them and trying to make the best decisions for humanity. And we're in this phase where the this fiat pseudo capitalism experiment that's been going on since 1971, it's not working very well. And the people that are looking at the data and they're looking at society, they're seeing this widening wealth gap where we're at when you just all the macro factors you articulated, how leveraged the global system is, where interest rates are at. This is not working great. And I think I actually heard you say this because I listened to you on Once Bitten. We're in this system where it's essentially socialism for the rich and capitalism for the middle and lower class. Yep. This is not adding up, right? The equation's Absolutely. not reaching a an answer that everybody wants. And so in some sense, this move towards socialism, given that framework is the only option. 
Like we've said on this podcast, if you're going to inject just fuck tons of money from the top through QE, damn right. You should inject some money from below through UBI. Like that's a line of reasoning that a lot of people react to. But if you're in the middle class, you're like, Anybody working in finance is getting filthy rich and I'm here in the, in the hamster wheel speeding up. So you have to inject money from both sides. We continue to devolve into this mess. And so people are working with that pair of glasses on. They see the world that way. And that's why Bitcoin, in my view, is so incredibly important because it creates this alternative solution. The tough reality mm-hmm. is that it's going to induce some pain. Like I think it's going to deleverage the system, but it presents a new paradigm with which to, new, to move forward. And I think as more people see that, the glass half full side of me says, maybe this is our road out and, and our move away from these freedom infringements and yeah. a, a socialist world. I, I also don't think we should be um, completely you know, asleep at the wheel when it comes to malevolent actors. I absolutely yeah. think there are malevolent actors in here. And in every portion of humanity, you're going to find those guys. You know, We work with a couple where we work. And people that are drawn to power, bureaucrats and politicians are generally, I, I think politicians, this is just my personal opinion, are generally sociopaths at, at like a base level. Because in order to want to control That's going to be one of our shirts when we release merchandise. <laughs> yeah, politicians sure. are sociopaths. At a base Coming level. From a couple guys that work for a municipality. You heard it. <laughs> they, if you're somebody who wants to have a lever of power over someone else, I think that in general, you have a baseline sociopathy going on. (laughs) I do. Like, I don't want to control anyone else. I have absolutely no interest in that. I don't want to tell you what to do. If you want to get a vaccine, wonderful. If you don't, great. It doesn't matter to me. Like, you take care of yourself because you're in charge of yourself. You're a grown person and you're not a child. Nobody should tell you how to operate your life within means. Obviously, you can't, you know. We'll, we'll, we'll stick with the Ten Commandments here. We're not alone. We're not going to kill anyone. But <laughs> as long as you're not harming anyone else, it's like the old libertarian, you know, uh, single rule. Like, just don't do harm. As long as you yeah. can manage to do that, what else, whatever else you do within the bounds of yourself is your business, you know? And I think that's something that people, and people have become so infantized because this nanny state that has been growing for the last 50 years has just... Sh- basically pr- turned people into pseudo children where they're looking for someone above to tell them what to do, tell them how to act. Yeah. Here's your money. Uh, go buy yourself something nice kid and uh, don't bother yeah. me. Absolutely. And I think, you know, people are starting to really wake up. Uh, like we mentioned earlier on the, on the pod, we said, um, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty evident that people are starting to realize that something's not right here. And I think Bitcoin is such a great, way to introduce once they understand how the money works then you can start to understand how these systems are engineered not with your best intention in mind and that may be intentional it may not be but what's important to realize is that there is something you can do about it and i think once people start to tear that lid off and understand the currency then you start to start to look at everything a bit more objectively and you say huh well maybe you know, maybe this this COVID response isn't in my best interest. Maybe there are other incentives at play, and it it really I don't think I would have gone down as deep down these rabbit holes as I've gone had it not been for Bitcoin lifting the lid off and really showing you a way, showing you a system, 
an alternative system that can get you off the hamster wheel, right? Yeah. And and once once you understand that there is an alternative, there's alternatives to all of these things that we've just been indoctrinated over time with just the way it's been, right? And 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 now it's really empowering people to say, "No, man, I don't want to play that game anymore." Yeah. To shift to Bitcoin more directly, uh, reading your work, which obviously is going to be linked all over our show notes, you clearly have a robust grasp over both finance, econ, as well as the technicals of Bitcoin. This is a far-reaching question, but what about the Bitcoin protocol or network do you find the most compelling? What's the most gorgeous thing about Bitcoin that grabs you? Honestly, the most gorgeous thing about it, I think, is that difficulty adjustment. Um, mm. And I'll elaborate on that a little bit. So looking at how currency evolved, looking back through the history of, of money and the gold standard and the gold peg, it was pretty easy to draw the conclusion as to why gold didn't work and what the incentive was for us to even end up on the fiat monetary system in the first place, um, basically because as the world got more globalized and you had trade deficits between countries, you know, let's just use two arbitrary countries, for example, say France and Japan, right? So say France were importing goods from um, Japan. Japan had no use for Euro or the, or whatever currency they were on at the time. So let's just say Euro. They got, they got largely no use for it. Okay. They operate in their own Japanese yen. So one of the ways that they would settle those trade deficits was through gold. Okay. But the, the, the more that we're becoming more globalized and payments are faster and the payment rails, uh, and, and these trade deficits need to be settled quickly. Right. So if, if, if France owed Japan $2 billion at the end of the fiscal year, they would have to package the gold. They'd have to count it. They'd have to, um, you know, ship it, secure it, get it all the way over there. Then does Japan trust France? They'd have to melt it down, weigh it, count it. Um, and that whole transaction was so super expensive and so time consuming. It'd take six to 12 months for that transaction to finalize only for them to go and do it again. Or perhaps, you know, the cycle changed and the currency's got, um, got, got valued differently. And now Japan's importing from France and they'd have to just reverse that whole transaction. So it was so slow and cumbersome that they needed another another currency to in order to or another system rather to to settle those exchanges. And that's how we ended up with the, you know, US dollar being the global reserve currency. So Bitcoin is obviously, you know, you can transact billions of dollars for the same cost and the same speed that it would take me to send you $1, I can send you $1 billion. It costs me the exact same amount and it's instantaneous just about, you Beautiful. know, after a couple of blocks, it can be settled. Now, the real, where the difficulty adjustment comes into play really with that gold. So if we go back to a gold peg, we're just going back to the same standard, that uh, the same problems that we had and why we abandoned it in the first place was so slow and cumbersome. So let's have a look at, at, at say, with with bitcoin and the other with gold the difficulty adjustment is such a beautiful concept because it it fixed the problem with the self-cannibalizing nature of commodities so mm. with gold the higher the price of gold went over time the more incentive incentivized you were to dig dig it out of the ground faster right 
And as gold price lifts over time, so, you know, these backwards reserves, the deposits in the back of, you know, the jungles of Peru, for example, they're not economical to go and pursue now. But at $5,000 an ounce gold, maybe they are, you know. And so what happens is we end up being able to go and um, and process the gold out of the ground a little bit quicker and we flood the supply with excess gold, which pushes downwards pressure on the price. So it self-cannibalizes. The higher it goes, the more incentivized we are to dig it out of the ground, which puts downwards pressure on it. So Bitcoin fixed that through the difficulty adjustment by... It doesn't matter how many. I mean, it's it's the same economic, uh, the same incentives exist for the miners as the Bitcoin price goes up. We're incentivized to throw more miners on, get more miners ramped up to try and get a bigger piece of that pie as well. But the difficulty adjustment fixes that. So every two weeks, roughly, that difficulty adjustment comes in. So the more hash rate we have, which is a result of the more computers on the network competing to solve the blocks, the Bitcoin protocol just goes, oh, "That's cool, guys. No matter how much you throw at it, we're going to adjust." to control the rate of release so that there's still only 6.25 Bitcoin getting released every 10 minutes. And I think that in itself was just such a beautiful addition to the protocol in order to fix that problem that gold had. Yeah, just to, to plug your, it, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, it's the Bitcoin basics, Bitcoin is better than gold, the difficulty adjustment, your article. That's the, that's the yep. article, yep. Yeah, you get into it and you do a great job of explaining it. And and. Yeah, I, I just don't think humanity has grasped programmable, completely inelastic, totally fixed supply. Like, yep. I say this all the time on this show, but you have to explain why demand for the network is going to go down. You have to do that. The network is totally secure, immensely distributed, mind-blowingly decentralized. This thing is, once you build the conviction that the protocol is immutable, right, which I've done and I'm sure you guys have done. This is why this thing is so much different than even the hardest of commodities the world has ever seen because you have to, for the first time in history, there's no exogenous forces that can affect what's going to happen with supply. You have to explain why demand is going to go down. And at the end of the day, that it's not just because, yeah, eventually there's going to be 21 million, but it's also it matters year by year, month by month, week by week. And that's where that difficulty adjustment is and keeps that pace just perfectly marching. And, and this is where you could also plug maybe plan B if stock to flow pans out, even in these truncated time periods of two, three, four years. It's just this repeated nature of this program that allows for that. Oh, I just I just thought I'd add um, with Plan B's model um, as well is is it's just such a beautiful representation of of what the action is going to be like as uh, uh, the the price action is going to be like in terms of the miners. So every four years we know that as a miner you're going to get half the reward. Your energy costs, your production costs, your operational costs aren't going down. So it's just kind of easy to grasp the idea that if my reward's getting halved, that price has got to at least double. Yeah. And as more, yeah, absolutely. to your point, as more demand keeps coming onto the system, we've got sovereign wealth funds, we've got um, pension funds starting to look at their bond portfolios going, fuck, I'm, I'm mandated to have 40%. What if I'm able to change that corporate governance model to just hold 2% of Bitcoin, 5% of Bitcoin? 10% right. of Bitcoin. And the that takes time. 
And looking at the Real Vision crypto gathering, for example, where you've got all these money managers basically shooting the breeze over a couple of days, it was so evident in that last one, I think it was early this year, maybe March this year, where those funds are getting in position to start to acquire Bitcoin and it takes time. And we are getting to that point of the of, of the year now where that's starting to come into play. And we still have this opportunity and this we've got a responsibility, I feel, to get as many of our friends and family on board now yes. as we can um, before this big wall of money starts starts to hit. And I think that's just gonna I think I think plan B's model gets broken, but to the upside. Very possible. <laughs> yeah, things could get weird here. I think that uh, yeah. the whole Bitcoin community has this wrong. The uh, the orange pill idea. I'm thinking that uh, we gotta we gotta change this over to the Bitcoin mushroom trip, because <laughs> everyone that's had a mushroom trip just talks about how it changed their entire life. Like they went, you know, they had this ex- this this spiritual experience, and you know they came back from it, and then like from then on, it was just like this enlightening spiritual journey that never really it just changed them completely for their life. So. I think we're going to have to get on the hashtag Bitcoin mushroom trip on Twitter, <laughs> get that thing trending. I love it. Yep. Gold tops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Daz, what piece of Bitcoin FUD pisses you off the most? Oh, so many. Um, I think probably the biggest one for me, the one you get mostly and mostly from the boomers is that it's nothing. It's, it's, it's backed by nothing. Yet they're quite happy to have all their money in a bank account. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. So, yeah. yes, they are. You know, that's the biggest. <laughs> Can I insert something right there really quick? We, uh, the Go same ahead. guy. So uh, this, this new guy we work with, Austin. So he was, asked, he was peppering me with questions on the ambulance yesterday. And I was explaining what he, I was trying to give him a good synopsis and answer his questions. So at the, he's like, we're pulling in, we back. He's like, hey, I, I got one more question. And he's like, I got out. I back him in. He's like, it's kind of just made up though. And I was like, yeah, it totally is. It's imaginary. And he's like, well, yeah, it's bullshit. And I'm like, no, well, think about it. Everything that you do, everything you recognize, every, every nation state, every corporation, every money, every single abstract thing that us as humans recognize as an institution, it's all made up, man. It's all imaginary. Every bit of it. And I'm going to give, I'm going to plug Sapiens on this because I think that's the book that really turned me on to this. And I know Dan loved that book too. Everything in this world is imaginary other than the physics of it. And our imaginations have produced the entire, you know, technological world that we see today. So imaginary is kind of real. And it's, and after I delivered that to him, he, it was like a light bulb click. And he was like, all right, where do I buy it at? Back to first principles, man. I mean, it, it really is. It's easy when you're, you, when you're on one of these tee off sessions and you're 48 minutes in and you're like, all right, I got to shut up. This dude's getting annoyed, but you got to bring people back <laughs> to the very beginning because a lot of people yeah. lack that underpinning that allows them to build on top of it. Yeah. You spend a day on the ambulance with Josh, you're either pissed or on your way to building generational wealth. <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> so good. Love yeah, it. It's well, if you're, one, one yeah, of my, if I'm going to talk, it's going to be Bitcoin. One of my favorite things to overcome that fight is basically just to explain the fractional reserve banking system and, and that whole Ponzi 
behind. Not only did we abandon the gold standard to go to a fiat standard where that's backed by nothing. It's just pa- fucking paper. Like what's the difference if it's paper or it's ones and zeros on a computer, right? It's, it's, it's still, it's still nothing. <laughs> and then we go and we deposit it in a bank and they create more nothing out of the nothing. Yeah. And yeah, I think that that helps people understand two things. So first of all, most people don't even know what fractional reserve means, at least a lot of our peers. But when you explain like, Hey, in 2008, the average bank dollar in a bank deposit was lent out 150 times, right? And you're like, Mm -hmm. wait, what does that even mean? When you see that degree of leverage and when you understand how far stretched that rubber band is, you start to grok why one small misstep or implosion in just one sector of the economy can cause the whole set of dominoes to go down. But I think that, yeah, explaining the banking system, explaining that credit spends like cash. So if you have credit, you can lend, you can spend, and it just keeps going, which obviously we, we would have in a Bitcoin world too. It's not like we wouldn't have any credit in a Bitcoin standard. It just, we'd have a peg that would limit substantially the degree to which that could happen because you'd have a pristine collateral that nobody wants to let go of. Absolutely. And it's programmable too, though, right? So if we did have some sort of fractional reserve banking from a pristine collateral perspective, Bitcoin being the pristine collateral, at least being on blockchain, we could, it'd be totally immutable. So we could see what those reserves are. Right. So if, yeah. if we're at a 50% reserve ratio or we're at, that's exactly right. And that's what the yeah. biggest problem was with the 2008 crash was no one fucking knew who owned it anymore. Cause we got, took those mortgages. We chopped them up into a million pieces. We sold it yeah. on, they chopped it up. They sold it on when it all goes, you pull the thread and it just unraveled through the whole system. Whereas if you yeah. had a blockchain programmable monetary system, you could go, ah, right. That Bitcoin that belongs to that fucker. Right there. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? It's that makes there. things even so like things like an ETF, like whenever the US decides or, you know, I don't know if you guys have one in Australia. I think Canada might be the only place that has one right now. No, they're but, still talking about it now. Yeah. So what, what I'm getting at is if there's three different Bitcoin ETFs and you're trying to decide, okay, which one do I want to put in my IRA, which is like our retirement funds here in the US? Am I going to pick the one that has no proof of Bitcoin ownership? Am I going to prove, am I going to pick the one that has like literal proof of a wallet with exactly the amount of Bitcoin in that ETF wallet that they can prove. And I know that I'm getting my portion of, I'm absolutely picking the ETF that has proof of reserves. Like that's the problem with like gold ETFs right now. Like GLD in the U S is like the biggest gold ETF. How do I know they have, you know, so many tons of gold in the vault? Like how do you audit that? No, but I mean, you just have to trust some third party auditor and uh, with Bitcoin. There's no trust, even in an ETF, even in like a commoditized um, mortgage backed way, you can still prove. And that's huge. I think this is why a lot of plebs, true plebs are uh, averse to the BlockFi's of the world. Um, We were actually joking earlier. Like I have the BlockFi credit card because I'm trying to stack sats. And Josh and I were like, yeah, shit, I'd throw some USD on there and make 7.5%, but we're both completely off custodial lending with our Bitcoin because it's just yeah. too valuable to not know what's going on behind the curtain. And yeah, this is I, where, at least totally for comfortable me, with cash, not comfortable yeah, with Bitcoin. It's on, it does go to show like where your head's at. Like, absolutely, I'll throw <laughs> quite a substantial amount of USD on there. That's awesome, great opportunity. But yeah, that's how I feel. I'm like, not my Bitcoin. 
And this is where companies like Casa and Unchained Capital, and I know there's a lot I, I don't have in, like they are, especially at least for hardcore Bitcoiners that really understand self-custody and proof of, proof of reserves and all this, they are beating the, the drum that I want to follow because they, they understand this ethos, but it is, it countervails the incumbent financial system to just an astonishing degree. The fact that consumers would expect that degree of transparency, but the protocol allows for it. Like you said, it's totally transparent. It's completely auditable through your own node. It trades 24 seven. So in terms of liquidations and collateral, it's just, it's incredible the ideas that are that have hatched and the things that will hatch the monsters that will hatch hey i've uh, got years to come i've been i've been kind of holding this one back i wanted to i want to quickly explain what i'm asking because i think a lot of people listening might not know so i've been keeping an eye on uh, on my node on the mempool and the mempool <clears throat> so in bitcoin the mempool is basically a list of transactions and this is for our listeners a list of transactions that haven't been confirmed yet on the blockchain, they sit in a, cattle, in, a, in a queue and they wait for the next block. And sometimes they can get up to hundreds of thousands of transactions like six months ago. It was crazy busy. The last three, four months have been extremely dead on the med, mempool. Like everything's getting confirmed immediately. It's one sat. So the, the cost to, to move Bitcoin around is, is extremely low right now because there's few transactions going on. Does that concern you at all, Daz? What, what is your take on that? No, and uh, there's another guy. He's a good follow on on um, on Twitter as well. His name's Checkmate. Uh, so he's an Aussie guy. He does a lot of Glassnode analysis. So he's good. And he had, he brought this um this exact concern up. So the mempool transactions used to be quite cor- there's a correlation there between price and and the mempool size. And I firmly believe that the on-chain data sort of uh, supports this. That people are DCAing right. They're starting to us plebs are starting, you know, to really employ that that dollar cost averaging strategy by buying a little bit every day. And like, for, so for me personally, I buy every single day, every single morning. And when that builds up to enough of a, uh, you know, of a, an amount that I'm not comfortable leaving that on an exchange, I do one transaction back over to my cold, and it's not moving. Right. And then the little bits and pieces of transactions from the people using it for utility. It's now getting adopted through the Lightning Network, I believe. I, yeah. So with the advent of the Lightning Network, now we've got the second layer transactional layer. So all those transactions which would have been chocking up the pool previously, now yeah. we don't need to be charged the $6 to $20 fee for that small transaction layer. So they're all moving to the to the Lightning layer, and we're not yeah. seeing that volume in there. So it, it's not concerning me at the moment. I'm not deep enough in the weeds to be able to analyze you know, whether lightning picked up the slack, but that's where I'm imagining yeah, everything's yeah. happening. So me, me personally as well, I've started transacting in Bitcoin, like my yoga teacher, I got her on board. Um, you know, I do a one-on-one with her. It's $40 a week. I pay her 10 bucks in Bitcoin now and I use the lightning network to do it. You know, nice. I've taught her how to, how to request amounts using her transaction for her receive, you know? So she says, receive 10 bucks. And I just go, bang, there's your 10 bucks. So I would have normally had to do that on that main chain, you know? Yeah. It's going to be interesting, the interplay between Lightning kind of taking those small transactions and the base chain maybe being more empty than we're used to seeing and how that kind of changes the dynamic, the game theory with the miners and, and, and how they get paid out. And like how, I don't know, it's just going to be an interesting dynamic to watch play out because we don't really know how it's going to play out. It's going to, it's going to be interesting. 
Yeah, that's the beauty of a open source protocol, though. And I'm not I'm yeah. not just saying like every gap gets filled by the fact that we can upgrade the protocol. But you, when you think about things like quantum computing and what happens when the reward gets lower and things like these, there are there's optionality on an open source protocol for node operators and stakeholders to make some decisions and and solve some problems. Absolutely. Yep. And I think it's one of the the better you know, you asked me before why, why sort of why Bitcoin, and I think because it's such a careful adoption as well. You know, we don't take things lightly. Any suggestion to improvement to the protocol is rigorously looked at, thought through, and and thought out. Like Taproot took so long to implement, still not even implemented, is it? We had to start signaling. So that whole process is just such a long winded thing, and and it needs to be because you know you only have to look at Ethereum's hard fork last uh last yeah. last week where they uh, you know Whoops. half the nodes were running behind and and now they're forced they're forced onto a hard fork and that's not something you want when you have a trillion dollars tied up in value right yeah uh first of all yeah 15 i, I whenever we bring up ethereum we try to do it with an air of humility because i am not an ethereum expert and i have not spent even hundreds of hours researching Ethereum. I'm in the tens of hours, so I'm not just not even close to being fluent in, in Ether. But I think both of us know enough to just be like, this thing, it's solving a very interesting problem, and I'm not writing DeFi off altogether. But man, is this thing just a, a messy blanket that's just a bunch of patchwork because yeah. it, just, it, it just is so opposite of the sturdy construction of bitcoin the more i look Absolutely. at it i held ethereum for a while and i have in the last few months just started offloading that position i i am dcaing out of ethereum yeah because of the well i got into it early um early in my journey anyway as far as my understanding of the whole concept because i come across a gold token so the perth mint here in australia issued a gold bar backed by a gold token. It was on, it was an ERC20 token. So I'm like, huh, there's my first real world utility into across Ethereum. So that's when I got interested. I said, okay, this thing's got some legs. It's got some possibilities. But the more, I, again, I'm not an expert on Ethereum, but I've, I've done a bit of work into looking at it. And the more I understand, I think Preston was really the one, again, only in the last few months, which really hit the, the, the key thing that I needed to get over the line to go, let's start offloading this position was the move to proof of stake is yes. basically no better or no different than the system that we have now where yeah. you will concentrate the power into a hands of a few. Um, yeah. And that's a real, real problem because they claim to be decentralized, but I think they're anything but. And when you have a handful of players that possibly could be coerced in order to this decentralization is just such an underrated underrated um attribute of bitcoin where you know it's easy to say not easy to do i think it was a term that you know decentralized by name only i think is a term that's been kicking around a lot lately yeah. and ethereum is is exactly that it's decentralized by name only when you've got a guy named you know vitalik who basically still calling the shots it's anything but decentralized and I and could, it's a risk and that's not to say and it's really hard to talk people out of why they shouldn't invest in it because 
they can and they have made money and they may continue to make money. But you just got to realize how much risk you're putting out there. So these these shit coins are or altcoins are, it's the wild west, man. It's it's the none of them are decentralized. Bitcoin is the only decent, completely decentralized protocol. So anyone claiming to be it is just full of horseshit. And you know, yes, you may make some money, you may be lucky, but you are opening yourself up to so much yeah. risk. And most of the people playing in this space. Are not the guys who have the money to lose, right? Yes, know? they've got to. Uh, yes. got to get like on to the Bitcoin. When I think about like this, this second financial system that's being built in parallel to our current one, Bitcoin, in my mind, and I think you guys would agree, is the foundation of this second financial layer. If I'm going to bet on a horse, that in this arena, it's going to be the foundational one, because there's just so many moving parts still. And I'm not discounting how any, I mean, any one of these shit coins could be valuable for X, Y, or Z reason. But as you said, it's the amount of risk you're taking for, uh, uh, when I'm going to take some risk, I'm going to take risk on the safest risk with the most asymmetric, massive upside possible. And in this space, that is resoundingly, resoundingly Bitcoin. And that's the, that's the foundation layer we're watching. Bet on the foundation, it's not going to move. The, re the rest of this stuff is fluid. It's 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 like you said, not decentralized, and a lot of it could be consumed by Bitcoin. I like what you said about don't not having the money to lose either. You know, when you think about like Ralph Paul, like yeah, he's into Ethereum, but he's a trader and he's probably got three thousand Bitcoin. Like he's got he's yeah. got room to move. I mean, even some of these bombastic, you know, YouTube personalities, like someone like MM Crypto, who's got this huge following on YouTube, right? He like you'll hear him slip in like, oh, yeah, and by the way, 90 percent of my portfolio is Bitcoin. Now back to Absolutely. Cardano. You know what I mean? But like yeah. you can see that he's playing the game because that's how he gets followers and makes money. But he even in the back of his head understands that his portfolio needs to be padded with the Kraken. And so I, this is the warning. It's like if you are an electrician, if you're a fireman, if you are a carpenter, you just don't have the free cash flow to fuck around with this stuff. The other thing with these altcoins... Don't lose money, right? Yeah. The, yeah. End, the end game of these two is just like, what's your motivation? Like, there's a dude we work with who it's all fun and games, but like, he's talking about some of these shit coins. Like, you guys told me to sold. Look at how much I'm up. And it's like, how much are you up? It's like, oh, I made $700. Like, no disrespect to 700 bucks, but like, I'm trying to build generational wealth for me and my family <laughs> and not, not make 700 fucking dollars. So, um, yeah, like, it it's these some of these people that are touting these returns i think they're infinitesimal too in terms of, of size of quantity and and if you were to enlarge that shitcoin position to make generational wealth you'd be exposing yourself to a lot of level of risk that would just be beyond idiotic so yeah it's it's a really good point too and i think once you you know i, I was really lucky to buy bitcoin at a really good and i'm and i'm sitting on great gains and I'm never selling that Bitcoin, but it's such a difference when you can sit like the guys you, you, you speak to are playing in these shitcoin markets. You can't really blame them because they're victims of the system where they haven't had wealth before. Once you turn that Bitcoin stack, it, it, it starts to look like wealth. You are that much more uh, motivated to keep and protect that wealth. Mm -hmm. So when yeah. you only have a thousand bucks in the bank, you will go and 
throw the roll the dice at the shitcoin casino because okay you might turn that into five grand or ten grand god forbid but you start to notice even the guys that once they've turned that into 10 and they turn that into 20 and that 20 goes to 100 potentially you know now you know at that 20k mark they're starting to think fuck that's worth a lot of money to me that's you know potentially half a year's wage for some people or, or you know once they start to tweak over they're invariably moving over to bitcoin because now it's not about it's 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 not even about building the wealth it's it's actually now i have wealth yeah you know where i've never had that before and it and it's it, they they end up coming to bitcoin anyway is is the point i'm trying to get at and i'm just trying to help them just skip it skip the thing yeah. because like it's got bitcoin's got you know way more chance of hitting a million dollars than zero in my opinion now and what's that from here 30x yeah. who's not happy with 30x on a return for an investment right you know right. what i mean yeah. so there's a yeah. difference between these shitcoin casinos and the and the gambling for fun and like like you say building generational wealth yeah and people have a really hard time discerning luck from skill so like a lot mm. of times when somebody hits the 20x jackpot and goes from a thousand to twenty thousand they think they're a genius and then they dive back into another one and they just get wrecked. And that's, that's pretty much the story of shit coins. You keep playing that, that casino long enough and some, you know, you're going to get whomped in the head. I like yeah. you saying, God forbid their thousand turns into 10,000 in shit coins, but in all seriousness, <laughs> the greatest, that's what I mean. Damage yeah. it can do is when you're successful. Cause then you're going to keep the, the foot on the gas. And yeah, exactly. I was going to, I was going to elaborate on that point because then they think, like you say, oh, man, I'm good at this. And it's like, no, 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 you, you know, you, you just got ridiculously lucky and like, just like, just back to Ethereum as well. Um, it's, it's solving some real world problems. It does. It is, you know, this decentralized finance, I think is the future of where this thing goes, but I don't know if it's Ethereum or it's Cardano or it's Solana or it's any of the other shit coins that are out there like is it a winner takes all or winner takes most scenario in the store of value bitcoin's winner take all it's an asymmetric bet there is nothing else that's going to attack the store of value narrative yeah well nothing's said. got this centripetal force nothing's yep. even close because with these utility tokens like ether it's the whole marketplace is ripe for competition. You're trying to accomplish a task. So if another shitcoin accomplishes that task for wrapping Bitcoin or doing whatever the, the, the hell you're trying to do, it's just going to drive profits and probably valuations of tokens down to zero. Whereas Bitcoin's the exact opposite. In a lot of ways, the more expensive Bitcoin is to harvest, the more work intensive the network becomes, the more value it is or valuable it becomes. Absolutely. So but that takes some time to understand why the those dynamics are completely opposite one another. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, you know, I think Bitcoin has the potential uh to solve all that defi itself. Perhaps there's a layer 3, you know, that that gets involved, but it's going to take time and it's going to be slow. And I don't even necessarily you know, wish for that for Bitcoin. You know what I mean? I think it's it's doing its fundamental job and it's doing it extremely well. And I think yep. if, you know, like we were talking about before, if we go ahead and chase those 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 other features and we rush it, yep. you're opening up attack vectors that, you know. Yeah, let's worry about don't, I don't, doing what we do yeah. well. Hell yeah. 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 Yep. Daz, we need to get you to sleep and uh, Josh and I need to go make breakfast. So uh, we yep. oh, this has been Thanks. awesome. 
great rip session. I mean, I feel like we just got to the tip of the iceberg. I got a ton of other stuff I would love to explore with you. So we will assuredly have you back on for more. To close out, why don't you give our audience a pass off to you and all of your phenomenal content? Uh, yeah. So thanks heaps for having me, boys. It was, it was, and I'd love to come back. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, more the merrier. If you'll have me back, I'll be back. Uh, so yeah, anyone can find me on Twitter. So it's at Daz B D A Z B E A number one. Uh, and also by, uh, you'll find my links to medium on there as well. So that's where I'm posting most of my articles on medium. So there's good entry level, um, uh, articles to teach, you know, they were aimed at the sort of middle-class tradies us blue collar guys, uh, just to start, try and break down some of these more complex macro and financial, uh, things. So there's everything from fiat currency through to how bonds work through to asset bubbles through to, you know, like you said, with the, um, the blockchain basics. So you can find the links to the medium articles, uh, through Twitter. Highly recommended. They're all, they'll wrap up your understanding in a nice little bow for you and easy to understand. Very, very approachable. Appreciate it, boys. Good on you. Sweet dreams, Daz. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, man. Take care, <laughs> mate. See ya. Thanks for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at blue underscore collar BTC. We invite questions, comments, and inquiries of any kind. And our email is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast.